So we've got some big news. Big news to cover this week, Brendan. Fabulous. I like big news. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Big news. Big, big news. And I'm not talking about the fact that my new Apes action figures arrived. No, which which would be big news? Is it is it that Kim Kardashian has a new game to download? I missed that. Well, apparently. I haven't downloaded it yet. Obviously, I'll be downloading it as soon as this program finishes. But it's not that big news, I take it, then. No, it's not that big news. Lovely, though, my ape action figures are. Mm. No, there's, but there's big news. I tell you what, we'll get to that. Before we, before we get to that, I just want to do a quick bit of follow-up, if we can. Yeah. Um, just to link out, because after the episode that I did with Jeremy Keith a couple of weeks ago, episode 73, I think it was, mm-hmm. about advertising and creativity and all of that stuff, uh, Jen Simmons, she invited me onto her podcast, which is called The Web Ahead. Mm-hmm. And I was on there yesterday and it just got published. My oh, man, you record it on five by five and then they put it out like an hour later. It's amazing. Wow. I don't know how they do it. Anyway, so that was that. I'll put a link in the show notes, but she wanted to follow up on some of the, I don't know, some of the concerns that I have about the way that I think the industry is going. And it was a really good show and I really enjoyed talking to her. So I'll pop a link into show notes and, uh, maybe people can have a, have a listen to that as well if they're not sick of the sound of my voice. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Which is entirely possible. Me and Miss Soapbox, after all. Let's do the first bit of big news. Okay. It's about Alex. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. He's my son, who's any, for anybody that's been living under a rock. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yes. Very good. <laughs> oh, oh, you're funny. See? Me and Michael Barrymore were like that. <laughs> Alex, he's been studying geology at Leicester for the last four years, and yesterday he got his results, mm-hmm. and he got a first-class honours. Wow, that's pretty impressive, yeah. Ah, oh, man, we are so, so proud. Yeah, it must be. I got uh, got a, a phone call while I was recording that podcast yesterday, and, uh, yeah, there was there was happy dancing in the Clarky kitchen. Yeah, I'm not well. There should be. That's a, that's a real... You know, achievement to get a first, you know, a lot of people is like happy with a, a Desmond, is, the, is that what they call it? A 2 2 and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, having never been to university, but yeah, first class is, uh, pretty impressive. So is he now going to go off and be a geologist? Could do, if he wanted to. He's qualified, I mean, to do, I think, whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. But he's actually going to go and start doing a PhD in September. Wow. Down in Royal Holloway, because yeah. he likes, uh, he likes the academic side of things. Sure. So, uh, yeah, so well done, Alex. And I know that he listens to the show. So I want to say sort of congratulations in public anyway. But the thing is, <laughs> this is the funny thing about Alex, because he listens to a lot of podcasts. Right. And he listens to, you know, all the usual kind of techie ones. He listens to, you know, the talk show and accidental tech and Mac power user and stuff like that. And sometimes when he's staying at home, You'll go into, into the kitchen, he's listening to podcasts on his phone, and he listens to them at two times speed. <laughs> what? He's just, seriously, <laughs> he's the only person that I know who can do this. Because he says, oh, I just get through it quicker. You know, I want the information, I can just get through it quicker. So everyone sounds like Pinky and Perky, if, if people know who that is, listening, probably not. But, um, so they're all, everyone sounds speeded up. Yes, basically. <laughs> and, we always joke that he's sort of, he's, he's like, he's just absorbing the information by kind of osmosis. It's like his, his upload speed is faster than his download or something. Like All that. right. That's, that's pretty impressive. Maybe, 
might be why he got off first as well. Probably explains it, part of it. He's a, he's a bright lad. Yeah. But what we need to do, if I need to say congratulations, Alex, what I need to do is I need to slow it down. Yeah. Congratulations. It sounds normal. Yeah. <laughs> coming from me in my voice. Yeah. So I don't know whether I, I should just go congratulations, Alex. Like that. Or whether I should just go congratulations, Bill, and then just slow it down in software. That might be easier. Yeah. The first one sounds better, though. <laughs> so I'm going to do that effect. So what we're going to do after we've recorded this, we have to go and go get a white van. Because he's moving out of his house tomorrow. Oh, we'll see. And we have to go and move all his stuff out of his student house, which means going and renting a white van and driving it down. Nice. So I'm going to be a white van man for the weekend. That could be quite cool. <laughs> yeah. Different <laughs> I've, different job description for the weekend. I've got everything ready. What's that? I've got my copy of the Daily Star to put on the dashboard. Yeah. What else do I need? Well, you need probably need a flask of some description. You know, yeah. with, with tea in. Um, yeah. Builder's mug. Uh, not when you're driving, but, you know. Uh, or one of those radios. They always have those. It's more painters, really, isn't it? They have those uh, transistor radios that are covered in paint. I think they... On the dashboard? No, well, sometimes on the dashboard, yeah. Maybe on top of the Daily Star that's rolled up. Yeah. And I think a vest, a vest would suit me nicely. Yeah. For driving, yeah. Yeah, definitely a vest. You've definitely got to wear clothing that isn't appropriate for the current weather conditions. So, <laughs> so if it's snowing, which it won't be, but just wear a T-shirt or something. Yeah. I'm, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm not really looking forward to it because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't driven a transit van in years. No. I, can't, I think I've driven one once. It's like I, I always swore never to have a tow bar again. If you, if you have a tow bar on a car, you just get asked by people to tow things all the time. So <laughs> what, Just at random? Uh, just at random. <laughs> you don't, don't buy an estate or have a tow bar. That's my little tip for this week. Um, because you'll just be carting things around for people. Buy a two-seater coupe, much easier. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about the last time that I actually drove a transit van, and I think that it was when, it was it must have been about 25 years ago, when I had my first job in London. And, like, I went to work at this photographic studio, and one of their sidelines was that they rented out all of their surplus lighting. Yeah. And I worked there. And occasionally you'd get a job where I'd have to deliver lights around London. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd like give me the, to dangle the keys to this transit van and go, you know, can you just de- deliver these to Chelsea? And he, oh, I had no idea where Chelsea was. So they'd send me off across central London in a transit van uh, to deliver this stuff. And uh, it was in the days before mobile phones. So they sent me a pager. Uh, they gave me a pager mm-hmm. and... You know, I would head off with my pager and a copy of the London A to Z and try and find a muse in Chelsea somewhere where some photographer had his, his had his studio. And I'd just get lost. I'd get lost for hours. <laughs> and I'd be getting pages from, is that what we called them? Pages? Did you ever have a pager? Well, no, I didn't have a pager, but yeah, they were called pages, yeah. Yeah. And you'd get a message, a page, yeah. maybe. You'd get a page saying, where the f***ing hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> and you'd get one of those, like, every 
every hour for the whole afternoon. And, and, and I get back and this guy got lost. And in the end, they stopped sending me out because, you know, they need to send me out like two days in advance to find where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the last time I drove a transit van. <laughs> well, let's hope it goes a little bit better than that then. Well, at least I know where I'm going this yeah, time. True. Yeah. So that'd be fun. Do you remember the first time that we met? Alex was there. He was there. Yeah. It was in, it was in Wales. It was, it was it. Yeah. We did a talk together yeah. in a little venue in Wrexham, I seem to remember. That's right, yeah. And he helped you set up your keynote job. He did, he did. Yeah, he didn't have um, he didn't have any facial hair back then, I don't think. No, but yeah. he was 14. Yeah, that'd be the reason. I mean, um, then again, I, I'm 40-odd and I can't grow facial hair now, so. Well, my big promise is that if I can shed these another three pounds and get below 13 stone mm-hmm. then the beard's coming off wow that's what i've promised to wife yeah who hates the facial hair yeah <laughs> yeah so n- never having thought that i would actually get under 13 stone now that it is actually a possibility i'm thinking oh what will i have to stroke <laughs> that's just conveniently perched on my chin in yeah. the future yeah well i think you know I'm not a fan of the facial hair myself, but you know. So I'm, I'm with Sue on this one. Okay. I think that you, I think that you with a beard, you'd, you'd, you'd be reminiscent of perhaps a, a Donald Sutherland. Yeah, but, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> in, in the Hunger Games. Something like that. You, you, you could be his double. Yeah, well, I, I, if any, if any, if I was going to be anyone with facial hair, that would be a good, a good call, actually. Yeah. Like good. a bit of Donald Sutherland. Yes, absolutely. So you you offered Alex a job at that point. You said, when well, next time you need a yeah, job, yeah. come talk to me. And which yeah. was, and he always remembers that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think he's been in, quite inspired actually over the years by, you know, meeting people, particularly people at conferences and stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, get up and talk. Yeah. I know that when he had to do presentations at university, uh, he approached it in the way that maybe we would approach a conference talk rather than the way that the academics approach a, a talk. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I think, I'm not spilling any beans, he's got his degree now, so, you know, <laughs> what can go wrong? Mm. But I think one of the, one of the, the things that the lecturers commented about his last presentation was, uh, there wasn't enough text on the slides. Ah, oh, right. They needed more text, needed more, needed more data. Yeah. Whereas, of course, in our world, yes. you try and less. Yeah, yeah, you take as much off as you can. Yeah, I think he's been inspired by meeting creative people, and that's I, I thought that's what the show could sort of be about today. Really, people that inspire us. Yeah, sounds good. I've met a few of them over the years. Sounds like yeah. a plan. So yeah. let me thank our first sponsor, and it's Big Board. Oh yes. So BigBoard is a brand new service that brings together the web-based tools that we all use every day into a convenient and beautifully designed dashboard. So here's the problem that I think a lot of us busy people face. We've got updates and conversations happening across a whole host of services. You might have a project updates that are happening on Basecamp or Trello, and then there's your activity on GitHub, your diary in order on Google Calendar, and, you know, I should stop there. <laughs> Big Board, what it does is it integrates all of those services and a load more. So to get started with Big Board, 
You simply connect the services that you use. And for me, that starts with Basecamp. You authorize the connection, and then that's it. And then I do the same thing with GitHub, so I can keep track of any kind of rock hammer or other project updates without having to go to GitHub directly or to get any of those annoying email notifications. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually don't use too many services, so that was pretty much where it go. Even better, you can group data together from different services. For instance, you might have a client on Basecamp for project management, and then you're hosting their Git repos on Beanstalk, whatever that is, and you're tracking your time for that project in Harvest, because apparently people do that, they track time. Right. Simply group them all together in Big Board to see an overview of that project's activity for the day, the week, or the month. That's quite cool. Big Board is really well designed. There's a dark and a light mode, which I think looks the nicest. And, of course, Big Board's responsive, so you can just keep it open on an iPad, and it looks great. So since the last time I talked about Big Board, they've integrated Dribble, and there are more service integrations on the way. Big Board's only $5 per month, and you can start a free trial, no credit card required, by going to unfinished.bz slash bigboard. And remember to enter the offer code unfinished at the sign-up, and you'll get an extended 30-day trial. And that's Big Board. Sounds good. Worth a punt. So I had a brilliant, brilliant thing that happened this week. Good. That's good. We were sitting down, Sue and I, a few weeks ago thinking, who'd be good to get on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we kind of opened up a few kind of wild card uh, weeks. And uh, we sort of started drawing up a list of people that would be good to talk to. And, yeah, you know, I wanted to kind of make it not just your kind of web designy devy yeah. thing. Because, yeah, you know, I don't always just want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we put all kinds of people on there. We put John Hegarty on there. Yeah. Because, you know, why not? Aim high. You yeah, know, yeah, he, yeah. he might say, he might say yes, he might say no. Yeah. Um, and one of the people that we put on the list was somebody that doesn't do any of our kind of stuff. Uh, it's a, it's an old boss of mine, um, that I used to work with, well, like 15 years ago. And I, he was the most, inspirational person that I think I've ever met, certainly that I've ever worked with, uh, a guy called Joe Simons. And so he said, oh, you should, you should see what Joe's up to. So anyway, the phone number that I had for him was out of date. And, you know, Sue did a bit of digging around on LinkedIn and, and found him. And, you know, we left a couple of messages. Anyway, called me back last week um, and said, you know, let's meet up in London for, you know, for a bite to eat. So I did that. And... We, we we haven't seen each other for for years, but I have to say it was the best and most kind of inspiring and motivating thing that I've done for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And it just put all of our kind of you know petty disagreements about web this or that into perspective, really. Yeah. Um, and oh, I had such a good time. And what was it about him that was particularly inspiring, do you think? I mean, first of all, he's he's a businessman, which, you know, he's the complete opposite of you and me, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. In terms of the thing that gets him excited is doing business, and it's it's sales. He's the best salesman that I have ever, ever worked with. He's incredibly sharp and incredibly... Um, agile in terms of his thinking within the sales process. So 
he's always one step ahead of everybody, which is like, it's, it's really hard to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just inspires people to, you know, but not only to buy from him, but to buy into the thing that he's selling. So that's really important to me because, you know, he can really sell an idea. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, I think. And then the other thing is, is that he's just so motivating. I can remember years ago, years and years and years ago when I worked with him and we were up in Leeds and a deal had just fallen through and I was, I was just about ready to kind of, you know, throw the towel in basically. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go off and do something else. And he drove me back from Leeds down to London where we were. And by the end of the car journey, you know, a couple of hours later, I could have taken on the world again. <laughs> it completely turned things around. And he was saying things to me this week, which um, he was saying, well, you know, he was asking about us and what we've been up to and the people that we've been working with. And, you know, I think we've done okay for, you know, for, for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that was never good enough for Joe. You know, Joe always wanted to do the next thing and the next thing. And he was saying to me, um, well, we were talking about the book, you know, talking about the last book that I did. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, did you, uh, did you do lectures? Did you do conferences? Yeah, we did a few bits of that. He said, did you do video? And he's like, well, I thought about doing video, but we never really got around to it. And, you know, we never really got around to doing like a proper lecture tour or going, you know, corporate consultancy or that kind of thing. You know, lots, lots of stuff that other people do. And he was like, why not? And you know what? Everything that I said to him, every reason that I gave just sounded like an excuse. It did. It, I sounded. I sounded like a dick. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I didn't have time, and he's like, well, make time. Yeah. And and it wasn't just to kind of make time in a you know in a kind of casual off the cuff kind of way. It's like, well, you know what? If if there's something getting in your way, then you get you know you either go around it or you go over it or you find some way of dealing with it. And he said to me things like, because I was talking about you know oh, I've been busy and you know. We were talking about work ethic and we were talking about Alex's work ethic and, you know, how he works really hard. And I said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, I, you know, I was up early this morning writing some code on the train down. And he's like, what the f are you writing code for, Clarky? Mm-hmm. You know, you should have somebody to do that. You know, your job should be going out there, making relationships with people, being the, uh, the leader being the face that people know and actually, you know, other people are going on and doing the stuff in the background. And, you know, every single thing that he said, painful though it was, was just totally true. (laughs) And I came away, I was having a conversation with Sue on the way home on the phone, and it was like I came away just so full of energy and enthusiasm just from this one person for, like, one afternoon. Yeah. But it takes that, excuse me, it often takes that one person with that, that outside view, particularly if someone you haven't seen for a while, to actually just, you know, point out these things that are usually really obvious. <laughs> yeah, but you're too close to it and it it takes someone to come in and go, you know, why don't you do this? And also makes you realise, yeah, these things that you're saying are usually excuses. Um, yeah, so the people like that are just worth their weight in gold, I think. I mean, to be honest, you know, I'd go back and work for him again. I don't know what we do, but I just, I just felt so energized with the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I could have, I'd follow him into battle if that's not a silly thing to say. You know, it was, it just so inspiring. Mm-hmm. 
And it made me remember some of the things that we did when we worked together. Um, and it made me think, well, do you know what? Why don't you have that same motivation or why don't you take all of the things that you learned back then and apply them to the business that we're doing now? And you know what? I haven't really. Um, and it makes it, it made me think, well, why? Why haven't you done that? Mm-hmm. And why haven't, we, why haven't you done that? Well, I haven't got a reason because it'd just be an excuse. <laughs> been too busy. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I, I think I've been, I, I can honestly say, I think I've been busy being busy. Yeah. And I had my eyes opened really again this week. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, potentially how things could be. Um, so is there going to be changes, do you think? Is it, are you going to, are you going to act on those things? Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's been things that we wanted to do over the years. You know, I, I wanted to, for example, I think it'd be a really good idea. We don't travel around as often as we used to. So doing workshops, you know, design workshops or CSS workshops, they're always a great thing to do. And, you know, we love doing them, but, you know, we can't be everywhere. Um, and I think that there would be a market for a, a video of the workshop, for example. Yeah. And, you know, I know Treehouse and other people, lynda.com, they do that kind of stuff too. But, you know, we, we have a different approach to it. So I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. We thought about doing it. We thought about doing a video of the hard boiled workshop and that was like four years ago. We never did it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what possible bloody excuse can I have really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? It took you four years to make a video. That's like, they could make Star Wars in that time. Yeah, they could. Yeah. Um, and there's been other things, you know, I wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to take July off to concentrate on writing some content for, you know, potentially a couple of little books and also a workshop thing that, you know, I have got, you know, we are booked for, you know, it needs a, needs new content. But I'm not going to do that now because client work's got in the way, which is kind of putting me under a bit more pressure later on in the year to get that content done. Mm-hmm. But then I'm thinking, Jesus, why why are you even doing that? You know what? Why why aren't you hiring somebody to do the work that I'm doing? Yeah. So to 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 free me up to actually do the content for these workshops and talks and things like that, because actually that's just investing in the future. That's investing my time in in a future endeavor. That we're going to get payback for sometime in the, in, in you know yeah later in the year. I, I never really think about it like that. Yeah, but it's hard to it's hard to let go with anything like that. You know, it's you, you just go, I'll do it myself because I know I can do it right and and it'll be done the way I want it done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And but there comes a time where you you have to trust in other people to get this thing done, and they usually do it way better than you can do anyway. Um, you know, or so, but it, it, to actually let go of a thing is, is, is hard because it's, you know, it's, if it's your company as well and you, every little bit that that company does reflects on the company and you don't want anyone cocking that up. So it's, it's hard to give that over to someone else to have that responsibility, but it is, can be very liberating. I, I find, I mean, I, I don't, you know, no one works for me now. So. It's a lot easier, you know. The only decisions I have to make is whether I want another cup of tea, you know. Well, <laughs> well I have to make other decisions, but you know, so I don't have to 
I don't have that kind of same, there's those same problems, but, um, yeah, actually making time to do stuff though, I think everyone has that, you know, that, those issues. And they usually are just excuses that you don't get stuff done, you know. Joe was talking about a friend of his that, you know, came to him for some advice. Mm. And I don't, I can't remember what the company did now, but they'd, he'd built it up to, you know, a million pound turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe was going, well, why isn't it 10? I think it was a printing company. Yeah. Why isn't it 10? It's always, it's always, well, what's next with Joe? Mm-hmm. It's, why isn't it 10? Yeah. And the guy was going, well, I think, you know, we'd need more salespeople. We don't have a salespeople. We don't have a sales team. You know, we have account people. And Joe's like, well, get a sales team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me being me, it, it dawned on me because <laughs> I never thought, in fact, I never did want to actually have a company. You know, that's not my motivation. Yeah. Um, you know, I never set out, unlike other people, to, you know, grow a business because, you know, I'm not really into that. But, and I hadn't realized, you know, when we hired Sue last year and, it, and by the end of the year, you know, we found out that, you know, she hadn't cost us money, she'd made us money. <laughs> I told Joe this, it's like, wow, it's a real surprise. And he just looked at me, like with this kind of incredulous face and went, that's what employees do, Clarky. They make you money. He said, you made me a lot of money when you worked for me. Yeah. Um, and you think, wow. So I think what I'm going to do, and you know, just sort of mulling it over now, but I, th- I think that it's time that we, you know, I think basically it's time that we hire a developer. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Um, we need to hire somebody to take over on the front end stuff and to do, you know, some of the, P- uh, the PHP CMSy stuff that we do. Um, you know, because I can do it, but that's not what I should be doing. You know, I should be doing the higher level stuff. I should be making sure that everything that goes out the door, if, even if it's not done by me, you know, has our stamp on it. Yeah. And I should be out there. You know, I, sh- I shouldn't be sitting there at, you know, I shouldn't be sitting there during the day writing bits of code when I should be on the phone to, you know, one of our potential clients or actually, you know, one of our existing clients is making sure that, you know, we, we sell them some more, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we do more work for them. And that's what I should do. And it, it did, it opened my eyes that. Yeah, that's good. That is a good meeting. No, it was, it was yeah. exceptional. Yeah. And it reminded me of some of the things that we did back in the day. Cause Joe and I, we worked together on digital photography right in the very early days. Um, and I don't want to kind of, you know, do too much of a reminiscing thing, but, the way that Joe handled clients at that point was, I think, something that we can kind of <laughs> we can learn a bit from. Because um, when we were doing this, this is like kind of mid nineties, and digital digital cameras had just come out, um, and nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted to buy one. No. Um, photographers didn't want to buy one because they cost like forty grand, and photographers were tight asses. And they didn't think it had the quality anyway, so they didn't want to buy one. Um, and printers and repro houses and, and other places didn't want to let go of their control over color or scanning or anything like that. So they were always telling clients that they didn't, um, that they didn't need digital. So nobody was buying these things. People, you know, people were making them. Kodak were making them. Dicomed were making them. Leaf were making them, but no, nobody wanted to buy one. Uh, and Joe took on the dealership of, of this particular Leaf digital camera and did what nobody else had done, which is to sell it to the clients. And he went over the head of everybody else and 
went straight to the client and he went to people like Nestle and Tesco's and Dixon's and Chrissy's and Sotheby's and big clients, big, big generators of photography or mm-hmm. big consumers of photography and said, we'll prove to you that digital is, is, is going to save you money and improve your quality and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then all of those people underneath had to fall in line and that was his genius. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, I've worked with a few people who are, you know, just brilliant at business. And they're, they're, like you say, they're, they're, what gets them out of bed in the morning is they love the business of business. They love selling. They love, you know, they love making money. They love doing deals. Um, you know, and, and it's a skill like any other. And, uh, I actually think it's, you know, pretty creative skill as well. So, um, you don't want creative accountancy. That's, that's not good. But, um, you know, it's such a, when you actually see someone, and you go, God, I could, I could never do that. That is, you know, that's, that's a talent that that person has. You know, you're kind of in awe of it and you sort of recognize that there's people who are great at that and there's people who are good at, you know, what we do, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I, I appreciate anyone who's, who's good at something, whether it's, you know, a high flying businessman or, you know, someone who can draw really well. You know, I appreciate all of that. I think people often have a negative reaction to salesmen or, you know, they don't like the idea of sales because I suppose in a kind of a Jeremy Keith advertising kind of way, you know, you think it's, they're trying to sell you something that you don't need or you don't want and they're just annoying. Yeah. But if you see a really good salesman in action, um, you know, somebody like Joe, then he's already, you know, he's already qualified the, the customer. I remember some of the, some of the deals that, that we did. We did a, a massive deal with, uh, Avon. It was the biggest deal that the company had ever done at this stage. Um, and obviously, you know, we'd been through so much of, of, of this stuff. You know, we, we'd gone through so many trials with them and, you know, we weren't selling them something that they didn't want. We were selling them something that they didn't know necessarily how to, you know, didn't know what to get. Mm-hmm. You know, they were relying on us to tell them what they needed, uh, to the point when actually that we were, <laughs> we, we were sitting in their boardroom getting the order signed and the guy that was signing the order said, and he just looked up at us and went, you know, I have no idea what I'm really buying here, don't you? <laughs> At least he was honest. <laughs> and it was like an £800,000 deal at yeah. the time. This was in the mid-90s, so it would be a lot of money even now. Yeah. Um, you know, he said, he said, I thought I was buying a digital camera from you. I don't know what all this other stuff is. And literally, there were like two lorry loads of stuff. You know, there was, you know, everything that basically took Avon to do their own in-house uh, repro. They took control of their color in-house completely based on the back of the fact that they started shooting digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, a, that was a genius kind of salesman because, you know, he, the guy was happy to buy. And this is the thing, you know, when you, when you're sold too well and you're not being sold to against your will, it's actually a really enjoyable process. You know, if you want to buy, you know, like a fabulous hi-fi. Yeah. And you go into, you know, I remember doing this and you go into the, the, the fabulous hi-fi shop and say, I'm thinking about getting an Arcam, whatever set up as we did. If the guy is knowledgeable and he can take you through things, um, and he can take you on that, that sort of sales journey, you're going to, not only are you going to buy from him, but you're going to feel really happy about the thing. And we all love buying stuff. 
you know, and you're going to be putting the stuff in the back of your car thinking, wow, what have I just got here? Mm. Whereas if you go to Dixon's and the guy's like disinterested and it's like, yeah, it's over there. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really know about it. Not that that's then, their fault, you know, but, um, yeah, it's totally different to someone who's an expert who's a real nerd on hi-fi, for instance. Yeah. So that's, that's what, that's what he always did. He always, he never sold badly. You know, he would, he would walk away from a deal if the guy wasn't completely buying into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a good lesson. Yeah. So yeah, I had, I had a brilliant time this week. Fabulous. So who's inspired you then? Who's influenced you most? You know, I think it's the, there's, there's lots of people from, you know, people I met, you know, for five minutes on the train or, um, you know, people who have certainly influenced my career, been a big part of my career. I guess, you know, the biggest one for me was Hillman Curtis, who, um, for those who, who don't know him, um, who sadly died a couple of years ago. Um, Hillman was like the first flash rock star, really. Um, and I met Hillman. Well, actually, we were nominated, uh, the company I was with at the time, Subnet. Um, we were starting to win all sorts of awards for the work we were doing for Disney and Club 1830 and people like that. And, uh, we got nominated. Uh, for an award from Macromedia, the makers of Flash, of course. And this, um, they were doing a conference in Disney, Euro Disney. So the awards were part of this conference. So I went over to Euro Disney. Um, if you ever want embarrassing, just check into a Disney hotel on your own as a man on your own in like a really family oriented hotel. So I was checking into this hotel and like everyone was with kids and I, I was there on my own and people were just like, why is he on his own and not getting any kids anyway? So I went to this conference and, uh, and obviously before the awards, there was all these sessions, you know, like, like we do now, you know, talks and stuff. And there was this guy called Hillman Curtis. I'd, I'd never heard of him. He was from New York. He looked like Elvis Costello. He looked cool. And he did this talk about um, how he... And this was sort of like Flash 2, I guess. And how he was using motion graphics within... You know, and he was making lots of banner ads and, you know, interstitials and all this kind of stuff. And he was using everything that had been learnt in motion graphics over the years, um, you know, from from TV broadcast and, and cinema. And he was now starting to employ all these things within you know, online, and no one had really seen anything like this before um, because the technology now, now allowed it. And so he did this fabulous talk, and he mentioned Sol Bass, um, graphic design legend, and uh, I was like, I'd just done this website about Sol Bass. Um, so at the end of it, I went up to him and said, oh, hello, Hillman, uh, blah, blah, you know, I was kind of like shy. And uh, I said, oh, I've done this thing about Sol Bass. Have a look if you get the chance. You know, never thought I'd hear from him again. And then I got an email from him. Uh, I think it was a few months later. And we just got chatting on email. And he was he was just, you know, so inspirational because of all these influences, um, you know, a lot of film influences. So, there, you know, there was a lot of film references we could talk about. Um, 
And Hillman later on became a film director. Uh, he made a film with uh, David Byrne, um, which is should called uh, Rise Rise Roar or something like that, um, which is on iTunes. Should look it up. Um, so and Hillman became like this flash rock star. So and then we got talking on email, and eventually he asked me to Seattle uh, to do a, a talk, jump on stage with him, as he put it, and that was like, up until this point, I'd never done a talk, ever. And Hillman had suddenly asked me to go to Seattle, and he got Macromedia to pay for the trip. Um, I had to pay for the hotel. I think they paid for the flight. Um, and this was in in 2000, so it's just before the whole dot-com crash, so everything was still good. Um, and I met... Um, he introduced me to his publisher, who I then went on to do two books for. He introduced me to the Flash Forward conference team and ended up doing loads of conferences for them. And then I was in New York with him. I worked in New York with him for a while, edited the the Flash 5 book that he did. Um, and it was amazing. You know, Hillman, with, and the thing with, with inspirational people like that, they are so unselfish. Um he was all about, you know, giving back. He was all about giving people opportunities. Um, and I, and as I said, he, he died a few years ago from, uh, from cancer. And, uh, you know, he was amazing. He was just an amazing individual and he totally, he changed my life. You know, there was no two ways about it. Um, I often think where I would be, um, if I hadn't met him. Um, you know, so and often, often things with those, those kind of opportunities, you have to recognize these opportunities. And I guess Joe, you know, that you met, um, he would say the same that you have to, you know, say yes to these things. You know, when he invited me to Seattle, um, well, after, after that, he invited me to New York to another conference. I mean, I literally had no money. I was, I was just broke. I was working as, you know, a young web designer, youngish. And uh, I I'd, I'd no money, and you, so you whack it on credit cards. You just make it happen. You worry yeah. you worry about the consequences later, because you think if I turn this down, I might regret it, and I couldn't let that happen. And you know that kind of my career kind of took off from it, my world view had completely changed, you know, completely. So so Hillman for me was kind of I guess my biggest inspiration, and my but there's but there's loads, yeah, people I haven't met obviously, and. Things I've seen, and you know, I'm not a religious man, and I don't believe in fate or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But but somehow I do think that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And our meeting, original meeting with Joe, was was pretty um, accidental. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, this this kind of meeting, I think, you know, he, in fact, it was quite funny, actually, because he said that he'd got a new idea for a business. Basically, Joe's been sort of, he's 48, and he's been retired for a couple of years, because, you know, he's he's, he's between businesses, because <laughs> he sold, he sold his last one, so he's uh, so he's, he's playing golf a lot. And he said, you know, I was thinking about doing something else, and then he, and he said, I was going to actually give you a call anyway to kind of, you know, bounce the ideas off you. So it's just funny that you should ring me. And I think that, you know, Things happen for a reason sometimes. So, you know, who knows where, who knows where it goes? But, you know, it, it would be very odd to think about what would have happened had I not had his kind of, you know, injection of enthusiasm, even, you know, even back then, I suppose. 
Yeah, I think you, as like I said, I think you have to recognize these opportunities and also be receptive to what they're telling you. And, um, otherwise, you know, you, you, you don't act on them. So it's important to act on these things. I think these days, you know, I probably say, say no to a lot, a lot more things because I, you know, I kind of filter things out. I've, I've learned to filter things a, few, a bit more, but I still, you know, saying yes to a lot of opportunities. And oftentimes say, Oh God, you know, there was one, I did, um, I did a talk in Berlin last year and it was, I got there and I was quite, and I went into the, like the session. It was just one track all day and it was, it was advertising people and they were just like showing case studies of like how many Facebook likes they got. And, you know, and I, I came out at, at, from at lunchtime thinking, God, this is, this isn't for me. This is awful. And uh, I was quite angry. I was like, it just wasn't inspirational. It wasn't, I don't really want to know about these case studies because you can find them online. Um, so I thought, well, well, I'm, I'm just going to do my thing. And if they hate it, they hate it. And I did my thing and it was just very me. Um, I think I swore in the first two seconds, um, <laughs> just to get their attention, you know, and, and I kind of had them then. And, um, I mean, from that, that one conference, I just met so many fantastic people that have gone on to, you know, give me work and all sorts of stuff. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of the day, I was like, I think I might just go home, you know, but I stuck, you know, I, I just, stuck, I was being an idiot and, you know, new audiences are, are interesting. Um, you, you meet all these people that you don't normally, it wasn't a web design crowd. And the great thing about doing those type of conferences where there's, advertising people and marketing people, they're the ones with the budgets. They're the yes. ones who pay you. The web design people are never going to employ you, ever. So uh, they might hook you up, you know, with a with a job, which is great. But when you do those kind of conferences, it's a totally different ballgame. So, um, but yeah, you know, I got kind of prejudiced against it um, when I originally walked in there, but it all worked out well. So I'm still learning, you know, I'm still trying to go, okay, count to 10. This is going to yeah. be okay, you know. I mean, it's funny. I mean, he, Joe always thinks big. And we were talking about clients and things like that. We're talking about some of the work that we do. We talk about some of the work that we do for SAP. And, you know, we love working with SAP. Um, and we work on some really interesting things. But we don't work on main SAP. You know, some other big agency run probably handles that. Mm -hmm. But Joe's, Joe's kind of, well, why can't I? attitude means well you know well why can't i why can't we work on main sap what's stopping us from working on big sap yeah why am i not on the phone to them now um you know why am i not flying out there and you know and, and having meetings and stuff like that yeah. and he is just such a kind of a you know take an opportunity and you know what could you know what could possibly go wrong you know what have you got to lose yeah exactly um, and I think that sometimes I've, you know, I've got a voice in my head, which is sort of saying, you know, just stick to what you know. Um, and then the other thing that he was talking about, which, uh, yeah, I don't mind talking about this sort of stuff on a public podcast. You know, a lot of our work comes when we deal with designers and developers. Right. But like you say, and we work on some brilliant stuff. Yeah. But our friends, our peers that, that do that, they're not the ones with the budgets. Yeah. And, you know, speaking at a web design conference in front of other designers and developers, um, actually, no, you know, maybe we, we should be, we, we have things to say about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, 
you know, maybe it's time to, um, to, you know, get in front of a different audience. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, for me, it's, I mean, and, and I love doing all the, the, the web design conferences and stuff. And I, it's a totally different thing. You know, you're not doing it to, to try and get, get work or anything like that. You know, you're sharing knowledge and, you know, meeting fantastic people, which is great. But there is also something to be said for, um, yeah, putting yourself in front of new audiences because new things do, do spring from it. And of course, these people have never heard of you. You know, or, or seen any of that work that you've done and to them it's it's all new and exciting and uh and so that that's good as well so i would definitely yeah you know encourage anyone to branch out into different fields and you know it's, it's I've, i found it quite liberating really well i think that i've stayed within my comfort zone for quite a long time yeah and i think it's time for me to get out of it yeah. And I think it's time for me to start thinking a little bit more strategically and to, you know, focus less on the actual day to day and start thinking about, you know, doing something different, you know, being, taking it more seriously, I suppose. Um, because, you know, we have got a lot of good things that we've done and we, you know, I'm very happy. It's not like, you know, we haven't done anything for, for 20 years. <laughs> it's not like I've worked in Tesco since the last time I saw him. You know, we've done, we've done good stuff, but, you know, I came away from that meeting just inspired to do better. Yeah, that's good. Let me do another sponsor. Okay. Speaking of conferences, our next sponsor this week is a conference, and it's Shrop Geek Revolution. You can't say that fast. Shrop Geek Revolution. And it's happening in the beautiful town of Shrewsbury, or Shrewsbury, depending on where you come from, on Friday the 26th of September. So you probably remember Laura and I talking about the Shop Geek revolution last year because Laura was there speaking about accessibility and I just went along for a, a ride really, just went along to listen. And it was a brilliant day, had a really lovely day. And the organisers say that it's one of the most friendly web conferences in the UK. And I, yeah, I found that to be true. And this year, this is their fifth event and they've got some fabulous speakers lined up and Paul Boag. Our good friend Rachel Andrew, she's going to kick off the show with her talk about the practical steps that developers and designers can take to get an idea to, uh, to launch with a, a from launch with a bootstrap side project. Amy, I'm going to get this wrong now. Phoebe Bo from Facebook, she's going to be talking about designing with words, the role of content strategy in product development. That sounds great. Then there's Adam Robertson and Dan Goodwin from. For, 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 for function and Fabio Basili from fabs.com. What is, what is it with all these stuttering company names all of a sudden? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. I think it's just a typo. I think that they got, they got the DTs when they were registered in the domain name. I think their F key is just sticky. <laughs> Andy Davis, Andy Yates, Sebastian Seavey from The Guardian. He's talking about building content management tools for the modern web. And finally, by no means least, my friend and partner in Slimming World, Paul Boag, with a new talk, Digital Adaption, Time to Untie Your Hands. So that's a really strong lineup, and I'd, I'd definitely, definitely be there again myself this year, were it not for me actually speaking at a conference in Norway the same day. But you should go. You should definitely go. You should go to my place, and I know that you'll enjoy it as much as I would. Tickets are a measly £89, but if you're getting quick, you could pick up an early bird for just £69. That's nothing. 
You can't buy a gourmet burger in a brioche bun in Brighton for that. You can't. You can't get it. So go get yours. Visit unfinished.bz slash shropgeek. should spell that. S-H-R-O-P geek. And then let them know that we sent you. It's true about the brioche, but oh, apparently you are a fan. I love a brioche burger. We're, we make our own burgers. and uh, But, yeah, brioche burgers, they elevate it to the next level. Absolutely. I know they're kind of a a thing in, you know, Hipsterville, wherever, the, you know, various hipster places around, around the UK. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. I like anything that's slightly sweet, though, to be honest. Anything that's sweeter than normal, sign me up. So. I got a haircut and a beard trim in the northern quarter in Manchester this week. Oh, did you? How was yeah. it? It was, uh, it was, it was detailed. <laughs> detailed? <laughs> there was a lot of detailing. Yeah. Cause I wanted to look my best for going down to seeing Joe. So yeah. I popped into, uh, this barbershop. Oh, he took forever. Did he? He took forever leveling things up. Yeah. Yeah. It was whisker by, it was a whisker by whisker process. I'll give you that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I can imagine it, w- it would be there, which is good. You know, it's, he obviously, whoever that is, or he or she is, uh, loves their craft, which is good. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, I enjoyed yeah. it. I mean, I was, yeah. I was sort of looking at my watch half the time thinking, I need to get back to the office. <laughs> He's like, I'm only halfway through. But, uh, yeah, it's good in Hipsterville. Yeah. You made me laugh this week. Me? Yeah, you did. You said on Twitter, I find the best design guideline is simply good taste. Yeah, well, yeah, I know there's a, it's, there's a lot of, you know, Google have released the, um, material design, is it or something? Guidelines, uh, which I haven't, I haven't looked at yet, but, uh, people are very excited about that. And, um, yeah, and then uh, people said to me, oh, well, you know, I knew people would come back at me and say, well, good taste is subjective. Um, you know, which I always say that's what people with bad taste tell themselves. (laughs) <laughs> um so, <laughs> so you know i i don't know i think i guess i'm talking about intuition as well a little bit and i know people are like oh you know and then someone said um i think today on twitter um that design is more akin to science than oh art. i saw that quote yeah which which kind of frightens me a little bit um so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've never really, you know, you have brand guidelines and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's fine. Um, but I, I just sometimes I think, you know, design guidelines are, can be, and I don't think they're actually meant for this, but they can be taken so literally that everyone suddenly starts designing in that way. And, um, you know, on which we, I think we've seen on the web through it on, you know, apps or whatever. Um, and I think with, you know, there's always, always room for, for new things and new thinking. And it doesn't often come from, you know, pouring over, over design guidelines. I, um, the guy that does, um, this American Life, uh, podcast, uh, Ira Glass, he does, um, we'll have to put it in the show notes. He does an amazing video about talking about good taste and, so for anyone who's, who says, you know, good taste is subjective, just have a listen to what Ira Glass says. Um, and there's also this thing I've written about. I'm trying to write a bit more these days, just write quick thoughts down, uh, you know, rather than, you know, be looking at Twitter 
try and force myself to do something productive um in that in that same time period um and i wrote a thing about how you know trying to close the gap between what is in my head and i think i think this is what you know as a creative people this is what we constantly try and do we're trying to close the gap between what is imagined in your head and what actually eventually manifests itself and for me i'm trying to close that gap down all the time and and it takes years and years and years and and i don't think you can ever have something that is in your head and then you actually manifest and it, it's you know the thing you actually make is exactly the same i don't think it ever ever is jonathan harris commented on the thing i wrote that um you know the gap allows for serendipity and and, and various other things and it, and that's why it's there uh, and other influences to come into that thing you design so yeah, and and within that is is this idea of taste. Um, so yeah, that's what it really was talking about. But you can't get that over in 140 characters, um, you know. But you know that such is the nature of Twitter, and you know. So, but yeah, I, I guidelines and stuff. I think that I think they're good, um, but I, they're not the be all and end all. And now, I'm, I mean, I'm really looking forward to all the blog posts about material design. Can't wait for them. Well. <laughs> I saw uh, Elliot J. Stocks. He wrote about how much he likes the look of them. That was the first one I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just looking at the replies to your tweet here. Um, I love the first one here. Um, I'd say empathy counts a little bit too. Oh, it's the empathy word. Yeah. 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 P- punch in the face. Um, that's how much empathy I have. <laughs> I, well, you know, I have, I have empathy. I think. Yeah, I, I kind of like, I think it was 37 Signals said about opinionated software. They wrote a thing about opinionated software uh, a few years ago. And I, I like that idea that, you know, the things I make are sort of, they're my opinion. Uh, if you don't like it, go and make your own stuff, you know, yeah. and, and you take into account, of course you do, take into account, you know, use, users, you know, things. Um, but I, I dislike with, with one of the apps, um, I make called Kennedy, you know, I, people, there's lots of people, some people, a minority, I think, that hate the little, little font that I use. And I actually changed it in one of the versions. And then people said, God, what happened? The personality's just been removed. And I thought, God, it has, you know, I, I kind of succumbed to people going, good. I don't really like that font. I thought, oh, well, I'll change it because choose something a bit more readable. And when I did that, it kind of died. Yeah, and it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. And and there was no, this is what I'm talking about, there's no rhyme or, you know, scientifically, that other, the typeface I chose in replacing it was actually more readable, scientifically, absolutely. Um, but the, that, that, the font that I originally chose, the typeface I originally chose, just added a bit of personality to it, and that's what people loved. Yeah. And it made no rhyme or reason. It didn't make any sense. So in the next the version after that, I I just replaced it and I, I put a little note on the on the update text that said, This font is here to stay and like it or lump it and that's it. And I get people saying, you know, could you just have it as an option? No. Option is weakness. Yeah, options compromise. Yeah, they compromise. They add complexity, you know, to the interface. I also get people saying, can you, we turn the headline on and off? No. You know, <laughs> the, yeah. he- the headline is part of the thing. So, 
I think you have to stick to your guns, and that, so I like I like designing opinionated things. I think. Um, so anyway. No, that's the kind of thing that that gets me up in the morning. To be honest, I mean, I was just mm. looking at Elliot J. Stocks' blog post here. Yeah. And he said here, material design represents Google's entire unified design system. And many of the principles outlined in the documentation are universal standards for good design, regardless of the medium. Yeah. It's great to see Google championing good design. Well, good for them. Yeah, brilliant. Good for them. You know, if it improves, you know, a whole load of bad typography, then fine. Yeah, fantastic. You know, that, that, that's great. Um, but that doesn't make it special. That doesn't make it good design. It just makes it. It just makes it, it makes the, it makes the default, it makes the baseline better, but it doesn't make it good design. Yeah. And I think it adds to the conversation about, you know, what good, good design is. Um, but the, the other point I made this week as well, um, was about, you know, technology is, is increasing at such an exponential rate that I worry that we're actually fully exploring, you know, the, the grammar and, uh, the, the subtle nuances of all this technology. And I would make the analogy that cinema, you know, has grown up over from, from 1890 to, to gravity where we are now. Okay. And all that, that time has, has allowed people with technology, by the way, you know, technology has changed how cinema is made and how we make films and how we tell stories. Um, but it's been over a really quite a long period of time for us to fully explore all these things. And now I worry that, you know, it's, it's just happening at such a rate. We don't get to fully explore the, the subtleties of all this stuff. And I think the subtleties are really, really important. Um, so I, I, and, and maybe that's, maybe I'm worrying, you know, cause I'm old and I worry about these things a bit more, but, um, I don't know. I think we get too sidetracked by all these technological innovations. And actually, you know, good design is good design. Telling stories is, has not changed really. Um, you know, over, over centuries, a good story is a good story. So, um, yeah, I, I was just making the point that we shouldn't get too wrapped up in the latest technological trends. Cause I, I, I don't even look at them to be honest. You know, so and I, I still manage to, <clears throat> excuse me, make stuff that gets written about, um, you know, so I'm still trying to use the principles that I think I've, I've learned over the years and still learning now. No, I, no, you're not alone. And I think that, you know, having your own fingerprints on something, you know, your own stuff in there, your own opinions in there, mm. you know, that, that matters. And, you know, if, you know, if you conduct a, bloody focus group or survey or something and, and you know 20 people turn around and say well i don't really like that typeface brendan yeah you know what are you going to do you're going to compromise on your initial vision mm. you know it's, it'd be a bit like well I'm, this is what we're talking about with jen on the uh, on the other podcast it'd be a bit like you know a focus group changing the ending of a film which i know they do all the time yes they do and it's not the director's vision at the end of the day yeah i, I yeah I, I, I kind of hate Hate that whole idea, but that's kind of how Hollywood, Hollywood is now. I mean, and, and great films do, do still slip through, thank God. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's so much money involved with those kind of things as well that, you know, people are scared. So they, they test stuff to the nth degree. Um, you know, so, but that's, 
Market forces, I guess. We should get on with our day. We should. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. I've got the exciting task now of putting the Ocado shopping away in the cupboards. Um, so that'll be fun. Did you buy anything exciting? Um, no, usual. I don't know. Can't think of off the top of my head what we've bought, but, um, the usual, usual stuff. Is there luxury hot chocolate powder? No, you know, I don't like, I don't like powdered hot chocolate. Doesn't, doesn't ever do it for me. It's always disappointing. Don't you find? It's been years since I've had hot chocolate, to be honest. I don't even know why it came to mind. Have you got shiitake mushrooms? No, I don't like shiitake mushrooms. I'm trying to you think do- what, <laughs> what do you eat? We've got, we've got nice, nice tea. They do a tea, uh, it's by Williamson. And it's a really nice, um, English breakfast tea. Um, and we can only get it from Waitrose. So that's, that's good. Uh, and we ran out of tea yesterday. So I had to go around the corner shop and we had, they only had Yorkshire tea. Which is, which is okay, but it's a bit builder's tea. So we're back to the white van man again. Well, I'm going to go and, um, pick up a transit van and then probably watch an episode of the A team just before I drive it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, it's, man, you, the van never came off that bad, did it? So no, no, the yeah. van was always great. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. people can follow you on Twitter. They can at Brendan Dawes, or they can go to your website. BrendanDawes.com. Wow. Yeah. Or me, at Malarkey. To ask questions or suggest topics, you can message this show on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ or email me, he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our lovely sponsors this week. They were Big Board and the Shrop Geek Revolution Conference. You can support our show by supporting them. Thanks, lad. Thank you. I watched a terrible film the other day. What was oh, that? Oh, God, it was Three Days to Kill with Kevin Costner. Oh, oh, it's terrible. No, don't, don't. Oh, have you watched I've it? I've watched it. I watched it on the plane. When I was oh, it's going to dreadful. Kiss. I, you know what? It's a shame. Luke Besson, you know, Nikita for me is, is a great movie. And, and Leon is, is great. And I don't know. I don't know. I think Luke Besson is now just, just raking in the cash. He doesn't care anymore because he, he wrote, I think he wrote the screenplay for that. And I thought, oh, and it was by the producers of Taken. And I, I like Taken. I yeah, think, I like you know, Taken. And it, yeah, okay, the second one is ridiculous and stuff, but it's kind of fun. And I think Luke Besson was involved with that. So I thought, oh, maybe, and I kind of like the idea of these older actors coming back and, you know, it's kind of like, God, I wish my dad had been like that. You know, my dad was ace, but, you know, Taken is kind of like born, but your dad. So <laughs> there's the show title right yeah, there. Yeah. If, if your dad was Jason Bourne, that would be taken. Right. So I thought, Oh, this is going to be going to be good. It was so dreadful. It was, I mean, it's just boring. Yeah, it was. And it couldn't quite make up its mind as to what kind of film it was because you had that kind of really quite cheesy, painful family relationship thing. Yeah. Interspersed with, you know, like, Action scenes, car chases and, and, mm. and stabbings and. Yeah, and killings and, stabbings. and stuff. And it was, yeah, and it was, uh, and, you know, to be honest, at the beginning, Costner was badass. Mm. You know, he, he knew, he knew the moves. Yeah. And I, I do like a bit of Kevin Costner, actually. Yeah. No, I, you know what, in, like, Open Range and stuff, I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, I, the other film I watched on the plane was Her, which I thought was a masterpiece. I mean, it kind of, it made me cry. I don't mind admitting that. I 
absolutely loved it. Yeah. I mean, Spike Jones, genius. Um, I thought it was the, one of the most amazing, profound, you know, comments really about love and loneliness and relationships. I mean, it's a film not about technology. I don't know if you saw him, he was on Newsnight after it came out and Emily Makeless was trying to talk to him about artificial intelligence and technology and where it's all going and he refused point blank to talk about technology and he, he just kept saying, Let, tell me about you Emily, you know, it was just it was really funny as an interview but it's, and when you watch it you go it's a film not about technology, obviously. No. Yeah, I loved it. I remember seeing some comments from a few people on Twitter uh, saying, you know, why would I want to s- what, sit and watch a film about some sad old man, you know, wanking to a, <laughs> wanking to a voice on the computer? And it's like you completely missed the point. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's not about that. I, thought, I just thought it just blew me away. Um, yeah. And I actually really loved it. I watched it twice, and the first time, and we're not going to give any spoilers away, but there is no. that kind of epiphany mm. just before the end. Yeah, and I didn't see that coming. You yeah. know, I didn't see, I didn't see what happened. Happened. People, you should watch the film. Yeah, go get it on to iTunes or somewhere. But you know, even on to DVD. Aye. I know. I loved it. But no, unfortunately, Three Days to Kill didn't live up to my expectations. So it no. wasn't worth the two gigabytes worth of hard drive space. So it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's digital dust. <laughs> yeah. Quite right. Yeah. But I do like a bit of Kevin Costner. I do, I do really, really like Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Um, except that weirdly, my copy of Dances with Wolves, and I think it's because, um, I don't know the iTunes copy that I've got or something is broken. I might need to try and fix it is without the subtitles. And I've got the extended edition of dances with wolves, which is about a fortnight long. <laughs> if you were doing a cinema redux of it, you could have to make it, a, you'd have to make it stair carpet. Yeah. It'd yeah. be that long. <laughs> and I would say probably a good hour of the extended edition of dances with wolves. They are talking in Lakota Sioux. Right. Okay. So, and there's no, there's no subtitles because my subtitles are broken. Oh. And I haven't got the subtitles. I have not got no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got the opposite. In, um, I use, uh, you know, the original Apple TV to watch films and, um, occasionally subtitles stick and, and, I, <laughs> it, it's, and it's really annoying. So, and I, you know, I watch a lot of foreign, foreign films. So they'll be talking away and the subtitles will be changing. But when the person does like the last thing that gets subtitled, it just stays on there. And it's, and the only way is to, to get rid of it is to actually come out of the movie and go back in again. It's so annoying. Um, and it's random as well. Sometimes it does it. Sometimes it doesn't. So yeah, that's a bit of a, a pain. But my Apple TV is kind of like, I think it's held together with string. Is it it's the original silver one? The original silver one that's like quite big. And it had a hard drive in it. It's got a hard drive in it. Um, and it's, you know what? It's still working though. I, I'm just loath to, to replace it because, you know, if they're going to come out with some shiny new thing, then it's kind of pointless. So it's still hanging on there. And I'm, th- I'm, 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 you know, I'm having to like give it you know, mouth to mouth every now and again to keep it going, but it still works. 
They just dropped the price, I think, to 79 quid. So oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> there must be a new one on its way. So I would hold yeah. off. I wouldn't, I wouldn't replace yeah. it yet. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what I watched the other day. What's that? Stalingrad. Um, the, it was last year's Stalingrad movie. It was uh, uh, the Russian one. Ah, right. I've um, not seen that. And it's a big Russian-made, mm-hmm. basically, Stalingrad blockbuster. And you should watch it. It's Yeah, I'll have to look that it, up. It's incredibly well done. I mean, the sets, the CGI, yeah. um, everything is, is fantastic. The fact that the Germans still speak in German and they're the only ones that are subtitled. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's dubbed from Russian. Right, okay. Um, but it's done really well. And actually, I've got a couple of Stalingrad movies because um, I've got the 1993 German one, right. which is all about from sort of the German point of view. Um, and then this one's very much from the kind of Russian point of view, and they kind of meet in the middle in this mm-hmm. kind of cataclysmic thing that was Stalingrad. And yeah. uh, it's well worth a watch. I'll have to look that one up. So I love stuff like that. That was the, yeah, uh, th- those were my, my films of the week. Mm-hmm. It went from, uh, it went from victory to <laughs> to disaster with Kevin Costner. <laughs> the the ultimate Costner fail. Yeah, it absolutely was terrible. I do hope that he does something good though. I mean, you know, I, I, I forgave him for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. No, he, you know, he, he does do good stuff occasionally, um, but that wasn't one of them. It really wasn't one of them. I ate. He has a restaurant in Deadwood. Oh, does he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he owns a restaurant in Deadwood. And I actually went there and I ate a buffalo burger. Uh-huh. Yes, I've had a buffalo burger. I felt bad about it, though, because obviously, you know, in Dances with Wolves, it's like Tatonka, and they've all gone. And there's me sitting there tucking into one. <laughs> That's where they went. They went to your restaurant. Yeah, he's killed them all. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs>